Earlier this year, we asked you what you wish you'd learned in school but didn't. This week, we're going back to class and diving into the topics you asked for in our latest series, In Case You Missed It. As part of our series, we'll talk about media literacy and civics and finances, but today we're getting into all you didn't learn about nutrition. Remember to join future conversations, have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. I remember in uh, grammar school learning that a healthy meal had the four basic food groups in it, and the four basic food groups were fruits and vegetables, dairy, meat, and bread. So after some discussion, the class determined that pepperoni pizza was the healthiest meal. The students were thrilled with that conclusion. The teacher was a little bit confused. Thanks for that message, John. Now, eating is one of our most basic needs. And yet for many of us, knowing what and how to eat to keep our bodies going can feel overwhelming, sometimes even confusing. According to the Centers for Disease Control, American students receive less than eight hours of nutrition education each year. And there's more to healthy eating than the food pyramid or the plate many of us were taught in school. Today, we're continuing our In Case You Missed It series with a look at nutrition. After the break, we'll discuss what our bodies need to function at their best. We'll also discuss how we know if those needs are being met and what to do if they're not. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. We're discussing nutrition as part of our In Case You Missed It series. Here to help us through this discussion is Dr. Geetha Maker-Clark. She's co-director of the Culinary Medicine Program at the University of Chicago's School of Medicine. She also works as a family physician at the North Shore Medical Group. Dr. Maker-Clark, welcome. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Deanna Bellany Lewis. She's a registered dietitian and the founder of Diversify Dietetics. That's a nonprofit focused on increasing diversity in the nutrition field. Deanna, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And we should note this conversation is about health, not weight loss or dieting. Everybody has different health needs, and you should consult your doctor before making changes to your diet. I, I want to start with a, a definition. Deanna, how would you define nutrition? Yeah. So, I mean, I think first off, when you think about nutrition, it's like food and how it affects your body. But as a dietitian, one of the things that I like to talk about when we talk about nutrition is that how food is so much more than fuel. You know, it's um, not just your physical, but psychological and overall well-being. Um, food is also culture and connection, and, and there's really great memories I'm sure that everyone has that's connected to food. So it's sustenance and nourishment, but it can also be joy and, and something that um, you can get a lot of pleasure out of. Dr. Maker-Clark, you've said you're not a fan of the term nutrition. Why not? <laughs> yeah, well, I think to to play off of what Deanna was just saying, you know, Nutrition does refer in the, in the scientific sense, in the clinical sense, to the vitamins and minerals and chemicals and enzymes that our body needs to process food into tissues and to be and become the building blocks of who we are. But I, I think it becomes reductionist when we just think about food as a source of nutrition and don't bring in the full picture of nourishment. 
and that aspect of food that truly is the basis of culture and of life itself. Um, this is how families are built, communities are built, faiths are built around food. And so there's so much more to food than just, you know, which vitamins are in which foods. So, so Dr. Maker-Clark, when it comes to what and how we eat, what is your approach and how did you arrive at it? Yeah, it's a great question. I've been in teaching nutrition to medical students and to middle schoolers um, for 20 years now. And I've, you know, veered in various directions to find the ways in which to speak about nutrition that feel authentic to, you know, how I just described what I think nourishment truly is, but that also convey that there are ways of eating that can lead to a more healthful life. And in my, from my perspective and from the research as well that has you know, accumulated over the last several decades, the concept of eating in a way that decreases inflammation, an anti-inflammatory diet, a food that is very pla- uh, diet, excuse me, that's very plant-based, plant-rich, uh, is is the focus of the way that I teach, and it's you know it's a part of a of a way that you can build a lifestyle that is healthful and uh, can ensure some sense of well-being. Deanna, what about you? How did you arrive at your approach? I consider myself a all foods fit kind of dietitian. Um, I remember when I first started doing nutrition education in communities um, and in schools, um, I was very much socialized to how I was taught and that was a very Eurocentric kind of lens. And so I was definitely the person pushing the kale smoothies and the brown rice bowls, no matter what community I was teaching in. Um, And I just saw how it didn't resonate with people. It just, it above that, disregarded things that they felt so close and connected to um, and really attached, you know, shame and moral value to food when that was not my intent as a nutrition educator. And so now um, I practice in a way that, um, like like we have been talking about, focuses on overall well-being, and that's, again, both physical and psychological. And so um, it's meeting people where they are. It's also not being so reliant on weight as the only indicator of health, um, which I think is really hard in American culture. We're so focused on dieting. We're so focused on uplifting thin bodies when you know diversity in all its forms is present in our culture and important. And so we forget that that includes body and size diversity. Um, and so now how I practice, it's more about listening to internal cues, um, focusing on you know intuitive eating, um, and it's uplifting other cultural foods that have haven't gotten a spotlight, especially in kind of American media and in the curriculum, um, at least when I was in school uh, for nutrition education. So Deanna, let's start with some basics. What do our bodies need to function day to day? At a very basic level, our bodies need macronutrients. And so folks have probably heard about these. It's the carbohydrates, it's fats, um, it's protein. So those are the, the three macronutrients. And then it also needs all the micronutrients. So these are the vitamins, the minerals, um, the alphabet that you hear, vitamin A, B, C, D, et cetera. Um, and so all of those things are essential for the body to function, for it to move. Um, and when you think about it, our bodies are so amazing. They're able to do so many great things for us, um, whether it's you know regulating our heartbeat or making sure um, our brain is functioning properly, being able to move and and, um, pursue physical activity. Um, So at a bare kind of basic nutrition, our bodies need both those macro and those micronutrients. So Dr. Maker-Clark, what happens when our bodies don't get enough of these things? Yeah, so 
I think it's vital to remember that all of these things are necessary. I think sometimes when the information that we get um, through media, through social media, suggests that there are certain nutrients that we can forego, um, you know, uh, we can remove fat from our diet to try to create a certain outcome or a low protein or a low carb diet may be the best way to go. And all of those macronutrients are so vital because every cell in your body requires all of them, as well as all of our micronutrients. Every chemical created in our body, in our brain, requires all of these things. And so to your question, you know, what does it look like when you're not getting the, the nutrition that you need? Quite honestly, people don't feel well. And in my practice, the probably one of the most um, frequent, you know, complaints I get from patients coming in isn't that they have some specific idea of what is wrong, but that they don't feel well and they feel really tired. And there's a lot of reasons for that, of course. Food is not the singular reason why a person might feel tired. But to me, it's a place to start, is to say, are, we give, are you getting the fuel that you need from the foods that you're eating? Is your body really able to grow and flourish you know, with, it, it, with the way that you're eating? And so it can look like being tired. It can look like you know, your skin may be having a particular reaction. If you're not getting enough vitamin C, um, if you have a vitamin D deficiency, for instance, it can also look like some musculoskeletal pains and fatigue. Certain deficiencies can look certain ways. But what I don't want to um, focus on is just sort of the reductionist lens of saying, oh, well, if you're having an issue with your skin feeling sort of dry and sagging, we should increase your vitamin C levels. Really, it's more looking at the big picture and saying, you know, what are you intaking in a day? Where is it coming from? How does it feel in your body when you eat these foods? And um, how can we improve that? Uh, Dr. Maker-Clark, you said that when you were in medical school, you were shocked to find there weren't any nutrition classes being offered. Why do you think there's this disconnect between the medical world and, and the world of nutrition or nourishment? I want to start on a positive note by saying I think it's changing. I know it's changing because I'm being I'm part of this change. The culinary medicine curriculum that we offer at the Prisker School of Medicine at University of Chicago trains our medical students not just to learn about nutrition, but to learn about it in a teaching kitchen with a chef, with physicians who are trained in nutrition, so that no matter what those students decide to specialize in, they're going in with the basis of thinking about food as a medicine, and that that paradigm shift is really really, you know, I think one of the most important things that we can focus on in the healthcare system is treating food as a medicine. Now, how the healthcare system veered so far away from it, I think was just a matter of moving away from the roots of what the real, the true medicines are, food, sleep, connection, community, nature, and moving towards a more commodity-driven, you know, healthcare system, a pharmaceutical-driven healthcare system, and just, you know, sort of slowly and insidiously over time, some of those topics just started to fall out of the fall out of the educational um, practices that we have. But I do think they're coming back, and there's many of us who are championing championing them. And I do think the public is demanding this, just like your your uh, writer wrote in. You know, I think people want doctors who are fluent in food and can give them real life advice. And we're trying to uh, rise up to that. Now, Deanna, what are some of the ways our body communicates to us that we're not getting all the nutrients we need? What red flags should we look out for? 
your energy levels it will probably be a really good sign. Are you feeling tired or lethargic? And yes, there, there are definitely different reasons for that. But oftentimes when we're focusing on more external cues than our internal cues um, around eating, we don't get enough food. And that can be a huge wane on our energy levels. Um, other things to look for, of course, are kind of the chronic conditions and keeping an eye out on um, if it's accessible. I do want to say that a lot of the things that we're talking about does assume a sort of access to food and to health care. And so that's important kind of underlying factor to be sure that we're aware of. But um, I think just paying attention to um, your energy levels, how your body is feeling, um, any sort of uh, inflammation or tiredness can be some signs. Well, I want to get to this message we got from a member of the 1A Text Club. They write, my dad had a heart attack five months ago and by a miracle was brought back to life. In rehab, he took a heart smart class that told him that the best diet for heart health is either plant-based diet or Mediterranean diet. My dad ate horribly for many years and only in recent years adopted a primarily vegan diet. How is it that my incredibly intelligent father who works in public health and was once a paramedic didn't know the gravity of nutrition and its effect on being able to save his own life? And we're also getting questions about moving to a vegan diet. Sarah tweets, I just changed to a vegan diet and am feeling great. I was just wondering about any nutrition tips for this diet. Dr. Maker-Clark, what's important to know or understand about your nutrition if you're moving to a plant-based diet? Yeah, I think that, you know, it it actually can be something that is is very um, smooth and it can feel like there's not a lot of resistance in it. I think there's, you know, an idea that everything needs to be radical, that you need to start shifting from what you're doing right this moment to a a Mediterranean diet or to a vegan diet if you want to become healthier quickly. And really you can start exactly where you are today, eating the things that you are eating today and start adding in more color. And from my perspective, that that is the advice that will always lead to a more plant-based diet because the absolutely beautiful range of rainbow colors that uh, exist in fruits and vegetables all correspond to phytochemicals, phytonutrients that are antioxidants. And just as another nutrition definition piece, what is an antioxidant? You hear that word uh, thrown around quite a bit. An antioxidant on a cellular level is literally a compound that... uh, removes damaged cells from the body. And we have lots of damaged cells every day, whether we're doing you know, everything right or not. There are, there's about a, a, a bunch of housekeeping that has to happen in the body every day. And those fruits and vegetables allow for the body to do that housekeeping through antioxidants. So adding in colors, colorful fruits and vegetables, no matter what they are, it really doesn't matter what they are. Whatever appeals to you, whatever works for your cuisine, your culture, those are the ways to start making steps towards a more healthy diet. Diet. For your for your uh, writer who wants to move towards a vegan diet, that's great. You know, that's basically a diet where you're taking out animal products and you're really focusing on plants. And there are so many plant based proteins that can allow for a vegan to have a um, protein rich diet, and that can come from soy. So from tofu, from edamame, from tempeh, it can come from lentils, an incredibly versatile food that's really affordable and easy to prepare and fast to prepare, chickpeas, peanuts, quinoa. So 
uh, chia, actually chia and hemp seeds are wonderful sources of protein. So by no means does protein have to solely come from an animal product. And I think that message is more, was more industry driven than it ever was based in any science. So Jay wanted to know how much are the current guidelines based on scientific data and how much are they influenced by supporting certain food industries? I'm going to go to you, Deanna, your thoughts? It, from my personal perspective, I think it's a both and. There's a lot of science that goes into figuring out the dietary recommendations for Americans. There's surveys that go out to learn about what people are currently eating. There's a whole task force and team. Um, but I don't want to ignore the fact that there definitely are other interests that come in. Um, but I, I think the science is there that supports the importance of a varied and balanced diet, which is what the MyPlate is trying to get at. Um, I don't think it's perfect by any means, but it, it is a way to just communicate easily to a, a huge culture about um, the basis of a diet that is, is healthful and varied and balanced. But I will say, I remember when I was at a conference, this was you know years ago, uh, the school nutrition conference, and they were promoting Meatless Mondays, and everybody was like, yeah, Meatless Mondays. Um, and there was a speaker that was really, um, a politician in the place I was at and was discouraging it. And I was very surprised to see that because I think any opportunity to give kids enough to, to have more plants, have more fruits, vegetables, whole grains in their diet is to be celebrated. And so I think that was the first time I kind of saw those two things come to a head together. Um, so yes, there is influence, but I think that still there is a lot of science that goes behind the recommendations that, that are made. But I will also say that it's often recommendations that are from a Eurocentric perspective. And so how can we make sure that we're conveying messages that are applicable to Americans, which includes folks from various cultural and ethnic and racial groups? Well, we reached out to the U.S. Department of Agriculture for a statement on its school meal guidelines. A spokesperson wrote to us, quote, USDA is committed to ensuring children can eat their healthiest meals at school each day. School meal nutrition standards are based on recommendations of the dietary guidelines for Americans, which are updated every five years to reflect the current body of science. And we're continuing to hear from you. Another text club member writes, my wellness journey has taken years. I wasn't taught much about nutrition other than the food pyramid. Later in life, I learned I was sensitive to dairy and gluten. Once I had children, we went completely organic and very low sugar with a focus on whole foods. I believe many of my health issues would have been prevented with nutrition education and maybe even testing at an early age. We'll be back with our conversation on nutrition in just a moment. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app and leave us a voicemail. Let's get back to our conversation about nutrition. And Dr. Maker Clark, outside of being a practicing physician, you teach a class to middle schoolers on the south side of Chicago called Food is Power. What are some of the things you teach in that class? Yeah, this class is focused around teaching about food and nutrition from a decolonized lens, uh, by which I mean to say looking at the food systems um, that we are that we are a part of by thinking about food and agriculture, farming, taking back the way food is grown and prepared, thinking about the cultural food ways that the community that I work in um, value, and sort of allowing the kids to see that the ways that they eat in their community have value, because I think there's a lot of um, shaming and a lot of um, very sort of racist ways in which we can portray certain 
food groups and food, even dishes, as being um, you know unhealthy when they are really key aspects of family life and togetherness. And so in this class, what we're doing is talking about how do you make great decisions for yourself that value your own community ways that allow you to learn how to grow some of your food that help you understand that making decisions about what you put in your body is a powerful decision that you get to make. And the more information that you have allows you to make that best decision. So that's why I call the class food is power over food is medicine, you know, which is the name of another class I teach. This is really about focusing on how this is a powerful decision and how people's own culture and community and food ways is valuable. Um, Food systems, just like healthcare systems, educational systems, governmental systems, are based in uh, in a framework that I think only works if it's working for the people it's designed for. And those systems often are not designed for all people. And so as we look to talk about teaching nutrition in ways that work for communities, we need to think about food systems and whether they work for those communities as well. Here's a question we got from Samuel who asks, what is the role of vitamin supplements, specific ones and whole combo daily ones in diet? Uh, Dr. uh, Dr. Maker-Clark? I think there is a role for supplements. I use them in my practice. Um, I think my preference is always to discuss with people how they can get most of their nutrients through food. They are going to be better absorbed that way often. They will be more bioavailable to the body when they come in through food. However, there are certain there are many reasons why a particular individual might benefit from having a supplement. Um, vitamin D would be a particular supplement that I use here in Chicago where I live. We don't get a lot of sunlight much of the year. And when we do, um, oftentimes the skin is not exposed to the sunlight because it may be too cold to, to do that. So um, there are many people who are vitamin D deficient in Chicago. And so this is one place in which I do use supplementation to keep levels normal and allow um, people to feel their best. And what does um, vitamin D do for our bodies? Well, interestingly, vitamin D is somewhat misnamed. Vitamin D is actually a hormone, not a vitamin, but um, most of the body's organs and tissues have receptors for vitamin D, and it has really important roles um, in our cellular chemistry throughout the body. And so it does, in particular, show up in our musculoskeletal health and our energy levels, um, but in in a variety of other ways. It's one of the most important hormones in the body. And it does predominantly come from the sun. The sun, um, when it hits the skin, is then transformed into this hormone. So it does depend on geographically where you live and how much melatonin you may have in your skin. And uh, depending on where you live, you may not have adequate amounts. So these there are, there are individual um, reasons why someone might require supplements. And if the diet, if, if I'm working with someone, for instance, on improving their diet and they're on this journey to, you know, start to bring in more nutrients through food, but they're not there yet, there's a role for a multivitamin to be that insurance um, to help them bridge, bridge over to getting most of their vitamins and nutrients through food. Well, we're getting some questions about sugar. Lynn emails, I'm surprised not hearing anything about sugar in this conversation. My health and energy levels improved dramatically when I dropped sugar, including treats from my diet. Headaches were greatly reduced as well. And Sandy emails, I'm wondering if your guests could comment on the nutritional guidelines on food packaging and why sugar isn't listed as recommended daily amount. Deanna, I'll come to you first. Yeah, so from the American Heart Association, the amount of kind of sugar that um, that they recommend is from, depending on your age and your size, uh, 
between four and seven teaspoons. And it is, there's again, because it just varies based on um, age, size, things like that. There's not a recommended daily allowance. There is on the new labels, they are starting to include, you know, you have sugars and then they'll add the additional sugars that have been added because we know that sugar is naturally occurring in a lot of um, foods. So it's naturally occurring in fruits. It's naturally uh, occurring in dairy foods. And so um, I think when people often think of sugar, they think of, you know, the cane sugar or the the white table sugar that you add to your coffee um, or that are part of sweets. Um, But they're a part of carbohydrates in general, which again, our bodies need those carbs to fuel, um, that our brain needs the carbs to, to be able to function throughout the day. We need it for exercise. Um, we use carbohydrates in so many really great ways. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really important and great to hear that the, the listener um, was kind of attuned to how their body was reacting uh, to sugar. Uh, because nutrition is so individualized, it's hard to say um, one person should only have this amount. But but. The, the sugars that are naturally occurring in things like fruits um, and dairy products uh, are, are really vital and important and come with a lot of vitamins and minerals as well, which we know are supportive uh, for health and for anti-inflammation and for kind of um, having those antioxidants as, uh, as well. Here's another tweet we got from Angus who says, I know what inflammation looks like if I injure my finger, but I don't understand how it manifests internally. Dr. Maker-Clark? Oh, that's such a good question. So, That just goes to the heart of chronic disease right there. So inflammation, we all know when we can see it, right? The the cardinal signs of inflammation are redness, swelling, heat, pain, loss of function. You bump your knee, you immediately know it's inflamed, you know, and the body is a very has a very sophisticated way of dealing with inflammation. It's an extremely important reaction in the body to uh, bring all of the, the healing aspects, all the cells that need to be there to come and do whatever repair is necessary. So you bump your knee, all of these cardinal signs of inflammation come up, all the cells that need to rush to the area, your white blood cells, your platelets um, get manifested. The whole army goes into it, goes into work and hopefully in a day or two, your inflammatory response decreases and your knee is on its way to being better. However, the problem really arises is when When inflammation is unchecked, it becomes insidious. It's happening in places that you can't see, right? When it's internal, it's affecting organ systems and tissue systems. That persistent low-level inflammation is actually the basis of most chronic disease. And this is exactly why food is one of the most you know, strong medicines that we can use for human health because we're taking our this food internally and it can do that work internally. So the idea that... Um, inflammation is going on inside the body is is maybe confusing but if you think about you know for instance the word arthritis itis means inflammation arthritis inflammation of the joints that's happening internally right hepatitis this is inflammation of the liver really every chronic disease even including mental health issues like depression have inflammatory aspects so Eating in a way that can decrease inflammation can truly be a medicine that attends to all of the chronic conditions that a person may have. And so when we're talking about inflammatory foods that, that help us be uh, have less of an inflammatory response, what foods are top of mind for you? Going back to the same foods, fruits and vegetables, foods that contain omega-3 fatty acids, so that's avocados, olive oil, walnuts, flax seeds, uh, fatty fish 
probably leaving out a couple there, but omega-3s are very powerful, whole grains, healthful fats, spices. And more limiting those processed foods, meat, red meats, alcohol, um, excess sugar, these are more pro-inflammatory foods. Deanna, we've got just about a minute left here, but I'd love to hear your, your thoughts briefly on, on what it means to be healthy to you. Yeah, for me, it means partially being kind of attuned to your body, knowing when you're hungry, knowing when you're full, honoring all those different cues. Uh, it means finding healthy relationships to be supportive of your emotional and mental health. Uh, it means being able to pursue movement or physical activity in ways that bring you a lot of joy, whether that's you know walking or Zumba. Um, so I think, again, it's just overall and being able to you know limit different stressors in your life or be attuned to how those impact you. Um, but I think, again, it's mental, it's physical, it's emotional, um, it's more than just the things that we put in our bodies. Um, it's, it's a real overall well-being is when I think about. And Dr. Maker-Clark, in these last 30 seconds, what does it mean to be nourished? Mm. Yes, I would agree that this is a state of a, a feeling of well-being, a feeling that one's needs are being met. And that may be coming from a spiritual sense, from love, from connections to other human beings, through connections to nature, feeling that one's body is a safe and comfortable place to live. Uh, these are ways in which I consider feeling nourished. That's Dr. Geetha Maker-Clark, co-director of the Culinary Medicine Program at the University of Chicago's School of Medicine. She also works as a, as a family physician at the North Shore Medical Group. Also with us, Deanna Bellany-Lewis, a registered dietitian and the founder of Diversify Dietetics. That's a nonprofit focused on increasing diversity in the nutrition field. Dr. Maker-Clark, Deanna, thanks for speaking with us. Today's producer was Haley Blassingame and with help from Colleen Grablick. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. This is 1A.